will not allow people of faith to be targeted, bullied, or silenced anymore. And we will never, ever stand for religious discrimination. Never, ever. They have this vote tattooed on them. This is a scar they will carry. Today was a big day, but it is just one step in this process, an important step. We still have a lot of work to do to get this signed into law. And I know that our friends over in the Senate are eager to get to work. It's time to make America great again. Join the movement. The Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. Time to dream big. Informative, insightful, and valiant leadership. Telling it the way it is to make a difference. All right, Thursday, the 4th of May, 2017. Welcome to the Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. A busy day today. Healthcare gets passed through the house and uh, that is the lead story, is the American Health Care Act finally uh, gets through uh, to the uh, House and will be headed to the Senate. So a uh, big win for the Trump administration uh, today and for the House. Um, now, as you know, this bill that was put forth will be uh, addressed, um, will be shaken up a little bit in the Senate. It's not going to be passed the way it is, but uh, finally they get a win on this thing a third time. Uh, is a charm for them. Democrats, of course, sounding the alarm, but um, but the Republicans very happy uh, today. So, you know, we've talked about this plan. Um, you know, I wasn't enamored with the original bill, as you know. We go into the um, amendment, the MacArthur Amendment, that made this possible, um, that really gave states more uh, more freedom to, uh, to waiver some of these uh, costs, to lower premiums and deductibles, and that was really the, um, the sentiment today. The only thing is the Senate is clearly going to um, fix this up a little bit, and we're on thin ice in terms of passing this through because you have uh, such a negotiation that played out between uh, the conservative Republicans and then the moderate Republicans to get this through. Uh, Democrats, though, they are gearing up for a fight in 2018. They think that it is possible um, that— the Republicans will be booted out of Congress in 2018. Now, uh, this was a promise that they had for seven years. They finally get it done. Um, and it's been, you know, a long time coming for them to get something done. Um, so in terms of the reaction today, positive, a huge win for Republicans. I don't know if they should be really uh, toasting champagne today because, uh, frankly, this is uh, just halfway done. Uh, the Senate is next. So, you know, you're seeing really how the sausage is being made in terms of legislation and how uh, it is being created and developed. Um, let's go first. Let me let you listen to what Nancy Pelosi had to say on this, which obviously very negative on the health care. And then we will uh, react to that and let you hear from President Trump and really discuss uh, how this whole process came to fruition. And then I do want to get into the details of the bill as it affects your health care. Here is uh, the House Minority Leader, Nancy Pelosi. They have this vote tattooed on them. This is a scar they will carry. So it isn't, it's their vote. It's not the Senate vote. 
it's their vote they are taking. Uh, so that is really a poor choice, cowardly choice, I might add. Why would they vote for it if they don't think it's worthy of support because the Senate will change it? Uh, from what I hear the Republican senators saying, they don't have any interest in passing this bill as is. Yeah. And, and by the way, whatever happens down the road, the members of the House Republican caucus will be forever identified with the worst aspects of the bill they passed. So again, Nancy Pelosi there uh, on Capitol Hill today. And, you know, it's great buzzwords and everything, but what does it actually mean? Uh, it means that they're they're upset that Obamacare is gone. But Obamacare, when you look at the numbers, and I have a map in front of me that shows me, you have, well, yeah, the 116% increase in premiums in Arizona, 18% increase in Texas, 69% Oklahoma, 42% Kansas, Iowa, big news, 25% uh, there. Yeah, big news coming out uh, yesterday, last night. Uh, today showing that Iowa, there's out of the counties there, there are 99 counties in Iowa, you have 94 of them do not have insurance. Uh, Iowa is completely um, uh, dismantled um, in terms of Obamacare and health care. Um, and Kansas uh, is also a mess. Aetna pulled out yesterday of insurance markets. Uh, Umana has pulled out. Uh, so there, there's absolutely no choice when it comes to healthcare across the board across the country. Uh, 29% increase in New Mexico, 14% increase in Florida. These are in premiums under Obamacare just this past year. 44% in Montana, 59% uh, Minnesota, and we could go on and on. Pennsylvania, 53% increase there um, in premiums. So when you have that kind of Increase in premiums, deductibles are so high you can't use it, and then, of course, the quality of insurance is just not there, and healthcare uh, in general. You couldn't keep your doctor. People were booted off their plans, um, and so the quality is poor. So it's not like you're paying more or getting better quality. And then the taxes that come with Obamacare and the penalty, I mean, there young people did not purchase the Affordable Health Care Act, Obamacare, They're not, and by not purchasing it, you, the Medicare, Medicaid expansion was not sustainable. It just wasn't. Uh, so it was an epic failure. So for the Democrats to say that this was that you're taking millions off their insurance plans, you're actually not. You're actually going to give people choice, and there needs to be competition in the market. Uh, basic stuff here. Um, I'll get into the details of the plan again for you, but uh, President Trump reacted at the White House uh, today, and uh, he was he had a little uh, press conference, um, although he didn't take any questions, but he had um, some remarks that he made uh, along with Paul Ryan and the uh, House leadership there. Um, this is President Trump at the White House, the Rose Garden, right after the health care vote, a win for Republicans today. Thank you very much. This really is the group. What a great group of people. And they're not even doing it for the party. They're doing it for this country because we suffered with Obamacare. I went through two years of campaigning, and I'm telling you, no matter where I went, people were suffering so badly with the ravages of Ob Obamacare. And I will say this, that uh, as far as I'm concerned, your premiums, they're going to start to come down. We're going to get this passed through the Senate. I feel so confident. Uh, your deductibles, when it comes to deductibles, they were so ridiculous that nobody got to use their current plan. Uh, 
this non-existent plan that I heard so many wonderful things about over the last three or four days after that. I mean, it's uh, — I don't think you're going to hear so much right now. The insurance companies are fleeing. It's been a catastrophe, and this is a great plan. I actually think it will get even better. And this is — make no mistake — this is a repeal and a replace of Obamacare. Make no mistake about it. Make no mistake. And I think most importantly, yes, premiums will be coming down. Yes, deductibles will be coming down. But very importantly, it's a great plan. And ultimately, that's what it's all about. We knew that wasn't going to work. I predicted it a long time ago. I said it's failing. And now it's obvious that it's failing. It's dead. It's essentially dead. If we don't pay lots of ransom money over to the insurance companies, it would die immediately. You know, coming from a different world and only being a politician for a short period of time, how am I doing? Am I doing okay? I'm president. Hey, I'm president. Can you believe it, right? I don't know. It's, I thought you needed a little bit more, more time, they always told me, more time, but we didn't. But we have an amazing group of people standing behind me. They work so hard, and they worked so long. I've been doing this for eight weeks, if you think about it. And this is a real plan. This is a great plan. And we had no support from the other party. Yeah, no support at all, and uh, very funny. It's uh, funny watching him up there with a bunch of establishment-type politicians who gave him absolutely no chance. That includes the House Speaker, Paul Ryan, who, you know, yesterday, I really killed Congress, and uh, deservably so, and I still do criticize them because, well, we don't know where this is going to go in the Senate, and so I'm a little skeptical. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm skeptical. Um, it was a good win. It's funny seeing President Trump up there with a bunch of politicians that did not give him a chance, that absolutely—most of them did not vote for him. We know that. 97 percent of Washington, D.C. voted for Hillary Clinton. And uh, he's standing up there, and uh, it was pretty, it, it was pretty uh, surreal for, for the White House uh, today to get this done. I have to say, Vice President Mike Pence has been a godsend in terms of policy. Uh, the guy has been on Capitol Hill, Capitol Hill and negotiating. Uh, Paul Ryan today praised the White House, uh, Mick Mulvaney, the Office of Budget Management. Uh, also, Ryan's Priebus, the chief of staff, apparently. Now, Priebus was hired by President Trump because of the way he got along with the entire uh, GOP during the primaries and the way that he was able to work through a lot of the politicking. And uh, Priebus was on Capitol Hill today, was visible in uh, making sure that this vote goes through. Um, what does this do? So the MacArthur Amendment in the American Health Care Act, it allows states to request waivers of pre-existing conditions known as community rating. So the federal government is not going to control um, the health care system as it pertains to uh, those with pre-existing conditions. Uh, we talked about that yesterday because we played the uh, Jimmy Kimmel sound and what he was saying about his kid, which, you know, frankly, was using his kid a little bit as a prop uh, for politics. Uh, let's not kid ourselves. Um, Pre-existing conditions uh, are, it's like buying uh, flood insurance while your house is being flooded. Uh, now, I think there should be provisions that allow children to be covered. But let's, let's also understand the reality. When you're in a hospital, a doctor is going to save a child's life. If a child, like Jimmy Kimmel's son, okay, who has a condition 
They're not going to be, oh, wait a minute, let me check your insurance card. If you're dying, you're going to be taken care of, okay? There is no doubt in my mind that you will be taken care of. Uh, that is a no-brainer. Um, so for anyone to assume otherwise that they're going to check your insurance, they don't do that. And that's why um, you see the hospital wait line so long because they know that their insurance is not going to be checked beforehand. So that's um, you know a basic thing here with pre-existing conditions. Uh, states may opt out of the essential health benefits. You know the essential health benefits not all that essential, especially when it provides you know women's health care to men. Uh, it doesn't really make too much sense. People who maintain continuous coverage would be protected. So if you have health insurance now, health care, you will uh, be fine. You will not have to worry about pre-existing conditions whatsoever. You will be covered. Uh, states may waive a 30% surcharge in a bill, uh, people um, uh, in a bill with uh, people who have uh, gap in coverage, and maintain many provisions of the original American Health Care Act. Now, the... Uh, bill uh, rolls back, repeals, and delays many of Obamacare taxes, such as the medic, uh, medical device tax, and undoes the current law subsidy system starting in 2020, replacing it with an age-adjusted, advanceable, and refundable um, tax credit for individuals and households. Uh, eventually, as part of this entire package, because this is just one piece of legislation, there needs to be other pieces of legislation passed, that would include health savings accounts, which, you know, if you're in your 50s, you're not going to be able to save much towards a health savings account. Um, you know, I get that. But when you're looking at younger people, people in their 20s uh, and younger, they're able to save kind of like an IRA where they can save their money uh, and use that towards their own health care in the future. Now, something similar was actually proposed by George W. Bush um, that didn't go through and, and the uh, budget for that, uh, well, it showed that it would um, it would increase the deficit a tremendous amount, so the plan uh, was, was nixed uh, by Congress. Uh, but this plan, which, you know, will add a little bit to the debt in the short run, will ultimately lower premiums and deductibles. Uh, it's a step in the right direction. Um, I think the Senate, you know, sh will be able to make some sort of uh, adjustments that would be better. I mean, I'm very interested to hear what senators like Rand Paul have to say about this, and, and maybe that they, I mean, someone like Rand Paul is a conservative Republican from Kentucky who has seen the health insurance market collapse in his state. He can possibly add some benefit to this legislation. However, I don't want it to end up so much different. Um, hopefully, they come up with a uh, some amendments to this bill that, that will show us that Congress has a backbone that shows us that Congress can work on legislation uh, between both chambers and work with the White House. It was so interesting today, just back on the, the process for a moment, it was so interesting to watch how President Trump and the politicians today from the House um, were discussing this House bill. You had um, Paul Ryan praise the president and vice president. You also had uh, the House Majority Leader, um, Kevin McCarthy, said and made a very interesting comment. And there were a lot of comments about how well President Trump helped negotiate this and really bring people together. Um, the House Majority Leader McCarthy said that, you know, he was the former whip. He's known he's been, you know, involved in legislation with presidents, uh, several presidents. 
And when he was talking uh, to President Trump, who, who would call the leadership late at night and would, you know, would call throughout the day and say, well, I'm going to talk to him personally, which is something that, you know, Obama reached out to, uh, to Democrats and, and, you know, try to push this through. He promised them that he would save them in the midterms if they did this. Now, Trump made no promise. Uh, Obama said he would back them, and that really – well, Obama really – any time that he said that he was going to support someone, uh, it didn't really work out, whether it be in Congress or the presidential election. Uh, in fact, just an aside, he put his uh, endorsement uh, into the France election today, uh, and he said uh, he is endorsing Macron. No big surprise there. That is the uh, establishment uh, politician there, you know, open borders. Um, as opposed to Marie Le Pen in France, who is the Donald Trump-like um, nationalist uh, policy in terms of closed borders and protecting uh, border security. Uh, that would be a real—that would end the European Union as we know it. Now, anytime Obama has endorsed somebody, it really went downhill, whether it be Hillary, whether it be Congress in 2010, um, and, you know, and then we know about— uh, 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 Macron and and we know with Brexit in the past and we'll see if uh, if that is an omen with all the nationalism that had swept the world and with this refugee and migrant crisis in Europe and terrorism throughout uh, throughout Paris uh, and France we'll see what happens with this election that I think is uh, next week or uh, this weekend or next week is the France election so we'll uh, we'll find out but it would be very it's gonna be very fascinating to find out frankly. And also, you know, Obama uh, sent taxpayer money to fund uh, the race in Israel against Benjamin Netanyahu, who is the current Israeli prime minister and our biggest ally, and see how that worked out. Uh, so, you know, just an aside there. So Trump made no promise uh, in terms of backing Republicans, and Trump also tried to work across party lines. He tried to work with Democrats. They don't want to work with him. They don't want to work with him on anything, uh, which is, you know, it's sad to see— because it would be nice for them to come to grips with the fact that, yeah, we're going to repeal this thing. Maybe you can help us in developing uh, something that's going to be really great for the American people. But now that task is up to Republicans. It's a tall order. And there's a lot of things in this bill that are flawed. Um, Medicaid reform is going to be uh, one of those challenges. Okay, And that's going to uh, – you know we've already seen major flaws in terms of poor health outcomes – uh, to care before Obamacare expanded it significantly. Now it's such a huge government program. Uh, pre-existing conditions, um, which, you know, raises uh, costs if you're going to cover, um, it's going to raise the cost in government and in turn uh, other people, other taxpayers. Um, and, you know, other policy concerns that I have uh, is that um, those that older Americans who are approaching retirement age, they're possibly going to be priced out of affordable plans based on the level of assistance provided in the American Health Care Act tax credits. Um, and senior Republican uh, people, uh, politicians are saying, and of course anonymously sourced by some articles, but they're saying um, that the 30% surcharge mechanism um, could, uh, you know, could pose a problem, um, a, a dynamic that may doom uh, the Obamacare's uh, risk pools, um, which, you know, when you look at that risk pool, well, what kind of people fit in there? There needs to be a, a redefined uh, high-risk pool 
There needs to be some way to say, listen, um, this person may have a pre-existing condition, but it's not a high risk. Maybe a moderate risk, but, you know, and they don't really know what, uh, there aren't enough healthcare policy experts, I feel, and I think there are some that are talking, at least with the Trump administration, but I don't think there are enough that are being um, uh, talked with in terms of creating this policy, and it's been all about politics and process, and it's been personal for Democrats. They're not going to support this. Now, this is the first step towards moving on to tax reform. And tax reform, uh, which President Trump has proposed and making huge tax cuts for the middle class, uh, policies that will greatly benefit middle class Americans and lower um, their uh, commitment in terms of taxes. That will also help companies to be able to reinvest in the country. Uh, in fact, speaking of which, Apple made a big announcement last night uh, saying that they will create a $1 billion fund to create, uh, to invest uh, in U.S. companies to perform advanced manufacturing. So they're actually creating a manufacturing fund. Um, I don't know about how many jobs this will create. Apple says they will announce more on this program this summer. But there's optimism in terms of taxes. Uh, healthcare has to be the first step to dealing with uh, tax reform because there are a lot of taxes that have to be cut out uh, in terms of Obamacare. Now, I also have another concern. I have a concern that this bill um, is going to be a one-size-fit-all bill like Obamacare aimed to be, and that we are going to move towards single-payer eventually, which would be uh, which would totally obliterate and uproot the entire American healthcare system, which is already in shambles. But a single-payer system that, like you know, exists in Canada. Um, would not work with 318 million people in this country, citizens, that is. Um, the healthcare um, system uh, as a single payer would not work in the U.S. Uh, that's really socialist care. And we see how socialism works in Venezuela with people literally sifting through garbage. Um, the wait times in Canada, where a single payer system exists, is outrageous. If you break your leg, it may take you two months to get surgery, to get a doctor appointment. Um, you know, the care is not good, and that would totally end the healthcare system as we know it. Um, there needs to be more free market involved. There needs to be almost, you know, I, I almost was thinking today, well, what if Republicans just repealed it? And I know they, they're, in terms of politics, they would be gone in 2018 if they didn't uh, repeal and replace. And, you know, my feelings on this have changed a little bit because I hear President Trump talk about repeal and replace, and then that was a major campaign promise. And he said, we're going to repeal and replace. The problem is you're replacing Obamacare, which was intended to offer health insurance for all, okay, whatever the hell that means because it really didn't do, it didn't do that. And it uh, raised prices on middle-class Americans and really affected small businesses, uh, and the employer mandate, which is luckily cut out uh, with this bill. But, you know, I'm wondering, if you just repealed Obamacare, flat-out repeal, cut it. Now, you know, we've talked with experts on this podcast about just repealing, and they say, well, it's really not smart, and it's not going to um, it's not going to help because you have a lot of provisions in Obamacare that, um, that need to, you know— be undone through multiple pieces of legislation, yada, yada. The problem is that 
replacing a big government program like this, and this is what Republicans inherited this year, was they were now tasked with they have both chambers of the Congress of Congress. This is why I'm critical of them, because they haven't gotten much done with a president that that is working at the speed of light and has gotten a tremendous amount of work done. A big executive order today that we'll talk about in a moment. Um, and you have a president that wants to get legislation passed, wants to cut taxes, okay, wants a better health care system, wants border security and national security. And you have a Congress that's been preventing it. And it's really both sides. And Congress, the Republicans have been spineless. The budget that I'm going to talk about again more, spineless, okay, by the Republicans. Um, and the Senate just passed that today. So, you know, you look at, can we just repeal it? What if we just repealed it and not replaced it and said, you know what, let's go back to totally free market. Well, costs would be much lower. Um, problem is that there are, and you have to recognize this, there are a certain subset of Americans who would have zero health care if there wasn't some sort of government program. Okay, I get that. So is there a way that the middle class isn't going to be killed by a government program? And I think this makes a first step towards it. Um, but, you know, it's a little, it's a little dicey uh, in terms of is it really going to lower costs enough? And I guess the answer is that if you, if you lower premiums and deductibles to a free market approach and true free market forces and competition, uh, then you're going to hurt the very poor Americans. So it's like you, it's a lose-lose. And there's going to be compromise because that's just the way it is when you're dealing with all these facets in the Republican Party, which is good. There's plenty of debate to go around, which is a positive thing, something that the liberals don't have. They blindly support each other. Um, but I'm concerned that there, that there won't be uh, – that costs won't be lowered enough. We'll see. Ultimately, we won't know until this is passed. Um, now, you remember the Democrats said, well, we have to read this bill to find out what's in it. Uh, and you like your doctor, keep your doctor. And that those lies that were pushed. Now, at least the original American Health Care Act was published publicly for all to see, all Americans. The amendment, while the bullet points were there, the actual bill was not released to the public, which is concerning. Uh, I hope that the Senate makes an effort for transparency, gets the entire bill, and if it becomes legislation, I want it to be public. I want it to the entire bill to be read by all members of Congress and by the public to absorb it and to understand it. Um, this is You're dealing with people's uh, primary uh, needs. You're dealing with people's health care and their well-being. Uh, so there needs to be a sense of urgency and uh, – and there needs to be a meticulous attitude by Republicans to make sure that this is um, – that a plan that suits all is put in there. Now, suiting all is going to mean, well, it's going to be compromised, that there's going to be some things that are going to be good for um, you know business, and then there may be some things that are not. Uh, the things that you must repeal that are – that is non-negotiable by both chambers is um, the – uh, mandate, the employer mandate, the employee mandate, um, and uh, the Obamacare taxes had to be gone. Pre-existing conditions, I'm sure we're going to hear a lot about that. That'll be negotiated. But listen, 
It was a win today. It was a win for Trump. It was a win for the House. They got the first steps done. Thank God. It took them long enough. Um, and President Trump was right there at the heart of the negotiation. Okay, um, the Senate Majority Leader saying that you know he knows his his guys, he knows you know who's voting for what, and President Trump is the one providing a list to uh, the Senate Majority Leader and saying I want you to go to go after them, and he did. And guess what? Trump was right, according to the Senate Majority Leader, and and those all those people on President Trump's list voted for the bill today. President Trump was the one bringing the two groups together and negotiating. That's the art of the deal. That's what President Trump brings to the table, and that's what Americans voted for, was someone who is going to bring people together and be a team player, and that's what you saw today. It was positive, um, no question about it, but it's going to continually be a fight, and the Senate – now, with Obamacare, the Senate took four and a half months after the House voted to put the bill on Obama's desk. Uh, it may take a long time. Uh, we can't wait. I don't think we could wait four months. I think this needs to be worked at with speed. But I want to see Republicans and Democrats, really all all Congress, but especially Republicans. I want them to really get into the nitty-gritty nitty of policy. Um, I feel like there's too much bickering from both sides, and they're too worried about votes. Get the bill done. Get it done right. Read the bill, first of all. Um and, you know, it, speaking of reading the bill, because the budget uh, passed the Senate today is going to President Trump's desk where he is expected to sign it. Well, uh, John McCain, senator from Arizona, former presidential candidate, uh, McCain talks about the budget today. He was pretty fired up and really pissed off at his colleagues. Take a listen to McCain on the Senate floor today. We're about to vote on yet another omnibus appropriations bill. It's well over a thousand pages. My friend, look, look here. This is what? This is what we are about to vote on without a single amendment. Without a single amendment. Is there any member of the United States Senate that has read this? Is there any member that has read this bill that of over a trillion dollars that we're about to vote on? And many of us are going to be compelled to vote for it because we don't want to shut down the government again. The American people don't want the government shut down, no matter what some colleagues of mine say. But here it is. I challenge any of my colleagues to come to the floor and tell me they have read this bill. Is it, a, is it of any wonder that the American people are, are, are fed up with this way of doing business? A thousand pages. A thousand pages. That's what we're going to vote on in a relatively short period of time. Haven't read it. No amendments. And I'm sure that there may be some provisions in this thousand-page document that members would like to modify, like to add to. But what are we doing business? What's the greatest, world's greatest deliberative body doing here in a couple hours? We're going to vote yes or no on a thousand-page document. That they haven't read. Again, uh, John McCain on the Senate floor today, Thursday, uh, this morning, uh, talking about um, the bill, the $1.1 trillion, $1 .1 trillion spending bill, just a massive government 
you know, bipartisan government-wide spending bill that continues to fund Planned Parenthood, continues to fund a lot of the Obama-era uh, bills. It does add uh, defense spending, but it doesn't fund the wall. Uh, and listen, I went nuts on, on the bill yesterday, and this is where I killed House Republicans on. Uh, I, I had the same criticism for Senate Republicans. They don't even read the damn spending bill, okay? And none of them did. I mean, how could they? It was 1,665 pages now on President Trump's death to sign. And I was critical of the president for um, supporting this because his provisions weren't in there. Now, listen, if there's nothing you could do because, you know, the money's gone already and it's May and this is just for the rest of the last five months of the year, well, then you have to be honest to the American people, okay? Because you have no—this is why Americans do not trust Congress, okay? Um— that they're not working in the best interests of American people. They're worried about their re-elections, okay? And what the White House probably should have, and this is where the messaging comes in, what they should have said was, listen, these were already paid for, uh, this is the last bill of Obama, whatever, and push that narrative, okay? And that it's already, the money's already gone, which is true, okay? And that, it, you know, it's just a, a you know, blanket uh, measure, the last thing that, that they could do. However, what they reveal is that they could have, and this is also against regular procedure because he, this should have been done in 12 separate appropriations bills, not a complete 1,000 monstrosity of a budget that does not fund the wall, does not have any of uh, enough of Trump's proposals in here. Um, I don't see compromise. I see winning for the liberals on this budget. Um, it is disgusting that the Republicans— pushed this forth, and McCain's absolutely correct. They did not even read the damn thing. How could they? Okay? And Democrats put this together on Sunday night, okay? Uh, and they worked together on Sunday to get this done, and Republicans were, you know, walk in on Monday like, uh, oh, we got, you know, work got done over the weekend? Yeah, when you weren't there. Um, and so they're beating you at your own game. When you, when you have both chambers of Congress, you can't give up. You have to Stay hungry. You can't become complacent, and that's what they're doing, okay? Now, President Trump—President Trump is like the whip, okay? He's the one that's keeping them going. He's the only one that's going to keep them motivated. Uh, there is a lot at stake, and we've had a precipitous decline under Obama, and it's time to end the decline. It's time to build a wall. It's time to provide health care and lower costs, okay? Um, and it's time to reduce taxes. It's time to get these plans done, and it's time to deliver for the American people, okay? And I like to see the figures go the other way so that the people that are on food stamps, that gets turned around. I want to see those numbers go down. I want to see unemployment numbers go down. Um, you know, we've seen manufacturing jobs come back. That's a direct result of President Trump's promises. But he needs Congress to work with him. And I hope, I really hope, because President Trump said as a result of this health care bill, the Republicans are unified. I hope they are, because they're going to have to fight on everything to get this Trump agenda through. And he's got a very ambitious agenda. Um, one of the promises that he made in the campaign was fulfilled today. That's an executive order on religious liberty, which is focusing on the so-called Johnson Amendment, uh, which was uh, from then-Senator Sen Lyndon B. Johnson, not when he was— President, this was when he was senator, enacted into law in 1954. Now, the Johnson Amendment 
basically regulates tax-exempt organizations such as churches and religious groups from being politically involved. But, you know, what have we seen, especially the past eight years, um, you know, the there are a lot of uh, black churches that supported Obama, okay, and they were not penalized for it. Now, I think that freedom of speech, freedom of expression, um, which is a core of our democracy, should, and freedom of religion, uh, should allow churches to be a little bit more, um, less cautious about, um, about politics. Uh, obviously, we know where the church stands on abortion. That means that a lot of, especially evangelicals, are going to vote Republican. That's just the way it goes. That's why Republicans have to earn the evangelical vote. Now, the executive order that President Trump signs today, um, declares that it is the policy of the administration to protect and vigorously promote religious liberty. It directs the IRS to exercise um, maximum enforcement of discretion to alleviate the burden of the Johnson Amendment, which prohibits religious leaders from speaking about politics and candidates from the pulpit. And it provides regulatory relief for religious objectors to Obamacare's burdensome preventative uh, service mandate, a position supported by the Supreme Court decision in Hobby Lobby. Uh, that was the um, uh, the case on uh, contraceptives. Um, now, there was a key provision that was not addressed uh, in, the, in the executive order about the Johnson Amendment today, which is a win for the LGBTQ community, and I'll tell you why. The Trump administration had mulled over, possibly, and this was uh, a consideration, is um, allowing uh, f true religious liberty in that um, if someone is running a business and they feel that they their uh, religion prevents them from serving uh, or uh, you know catering to a, a gay person, then they would have the right to do so. Now, the Obama administration was hawkish on this. They remember you had the case that the, the county clerk um, that did not want to uh, issue marriage licenses. The Obama administration said, no, uh, it doesn't matter uh, what your religious beliefs are. You have to serve all people. Um, now, I support that. I do. Um, I think that Republicans really have to get over the uh, gay marriage situation because it's the law. We're a nation of laws. The Supreme Court ruled that it is uh, it is the law. I also support gay marriage, and I support gay rights. Always have, um, even as a conservative, uh, because uh, it is not. I don't feel that it is our role to regulate people. Uh, you know, in, in my eyes, uh, marriage is is marriage. It's uh, love. Um, it doesn't matter who you are, and I have friends. Uh, who are uh, gay and lesbian. I have no problem with that. Um, and I think the Trump administration, which we know President Trump is not an ideologue, we know that President Trump held a gay pride flag, okay, the only Republican ever to do so at a rally. Um, and President Trump is someone who, you know, has relationships and has people in his campaign who, uh, who are gay, people on his transition team, um, and the people who he worked with in real estate. You know, people in New York, you know, he's a New York City guy where he dealt with a lot of flamboyant people. He also owned modeling agencies, for God's sakes. Um, so, you know, Melania's friends, I'm sure, have a lot of gay friends. I'm sure they go out a lot with gay people. The thing, that should not be an issue. They're just people. So I'm glad that President Trump did not 
tamper with that because here's the deal. President Trump in this executive order, which says, listen, okay, church leaders are already doing it, okay, and, well, some of them are, and they should be allowed to express freedom of religion, freedom of expression. That is a core of our First Amendment rights. But he doesn't go as far as to say that, well, you can discriminate or what would happen would be it would be a court battle. Um, it would possibly get tied up in the courts like the travel suspension. You just don't need that headache. It's not worth it. And it's also a stupid provision. I'm glad that they did not say that people have the right to, to not serve people because they're gay because of their religious beliefs prevent them from doing so. I think that that's, that is um, – personally, I think that is wrong. Uh, so I'm glad President Trump did not do that. And it goes to show you, and it, it sends a strong message to the LGBTQ community that President Trump is not after them, okay? In fact, he supports them, okay? Uh, and they have to understand that. Now, the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, uh, goes after the Trump administration saying, we'll see you in court. We're going to send people for court cases. Now, the ironic part is what they, you know, what they write about it is that it's discriminatory, that uh, you're uh, discriminating against people because of religious beliefs. But the ironic part is, and the hypocrisy from the ACLU, is that they're discriminating against people who believe in religion. So, you know, you, you cannot have a first, you cannot have First Amendment rights and free speech and freedom of religion, freedom of expression, and then just because it fits your agenda and because you're against Donald Trump, you can't say that it's discriminatory because it's not, okay? It gives freedom of expression all around, and it's a pretty fair-minded bill. Um, obviously, social conservatives are happy about it, but we're getting to an age too much where it's a separation of church and state that, you know, pardon the phrase, God forbid, um... You say a prayer at a uh, public ceremony. People get all up in arms. Get over it, okay? People pray, um, and people are religious, and good for them. Faith is important, okay? And, you know, I'm a firm believer that, that people generally have some sort of faith, that you believe in something greater than yourself. And for the ACLU, which is supposed to protect civil liberties, the ironic part here, the hypocrisy, Okay, they're supposed to protect First Amendment and civil liberties, and they attack and say that it's discriminatory. They're discriminating against religious people, namely Christians. Okay, but if it fit their agenda, if it was, if they felt it was discriminatory against Muslims, oh, they would be claiming that, you know, it's uh, anti-religious freedom. Okay, so they just want to attack every way that they can. And this is where you have the liberals that just they cannot support anything, and there will never be bipartisanship, true bipartisanship. When you see bipartisanship, in fact, you should be concerned because to me, this speaks globalism. That speaks establishment politics. That is um, more of a concern to me now than partisanship. I think that um, in this day and age with terrorism and with uh, many aspects of globalist policies that have really um, – led to a precipitous decline of this uh, of the nation under the last eight years and beyond that, uh, we need to move on and uh, and really focus on the U.S. Uh, and speaking of which, coming up on the podcast, uh, we will uh, talk about President Trump's upcoming foreign travel trip. Uh, also, some news about Susan Rice. You know, she allegedly unmasked names on the Trump team. Well, 
She's refusing to go in front of Congress, and we have some latest news on that, and some data to back up some of the unmasking. And the State Department, uh, well, they may be going through your social media. Plus, the Snowflake segment, you don't want to miss it. The Neil A. Crystal Show podcast, that's coming up. Stay tuned. I will not make age an issue of this campaign. I am not going to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. President Reagan, and neither will you. Passionate talk and real solutions for America on the Neelay Caruso Show podcast. Informative, insightful, and valiant leadership. Telling it the way it is to make a difference. NeelayCaruso.com a ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update. I'm gonna let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. Green light. Hey girl, school zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text, stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You want to win? We're going to win so much, you may even get tired of winning. And you'll say, please, please, it's too much winning. Neil A. Caruso is winning every day. This is the Neil A. Caruso Show podcast on neilacaruso.com and on iTunes. Subscribe now. All right, we are back on this May 4th. Cinco de Mayo tomorrow. In fact, uh, Mike Pence, the vice president, uh, hosting a uh, event at the White House. President Trump is in New York City for the first time uh, back home since uh, becoming president. And he uh, is actually at the um, USS uh, Intrepid uh, today, South Street Seaport, uh, down lower Manhattan, with the Australian prime minister uh, commemorating uh, a uh, big, uh, you know, really uh, the way we worked with Australia. Um, in terms of uh, foreign policy, that was uh, a real um, I- importance in um, in American history and working with other countries. Um, mom- oh, well, I shouldn't say moments ago, a little while ago is that we're recording the podcast. Uh, President Trump actually met with the Australian Prime Minister uh, Turnbull. Now, you may remember there was a story the New York Times had reported on uh, through, of course, leaks, and everything is leaked today. Um, they reported that, um, you know, President Trump and the Australian Prime Minister, uh, Malcolm Turnbull, in January had a uh, disagreement about uh, the refugees coming in, that President Trump basically hung up the phone and then he got all mad, um, which to many extents, because in that week, both Turnbull and Trump, you know, said that didn't happen that way and that we're fine and that, you know, there was a, you know, obviously uh, President Trump told Australia, listen, we're not going to accept all your refugees and we're not going to take all your problems. Um, well, the New York Times reporting today, th- this is, see, 
This is where the bias comes in. Now, just get—this is their first paragraph in this story today about President Trump's uh, meeting with the Australian Prime Minister that uh, is happening as we're speaking, as I'm talking to you on Thursday night. They write this, quote, Among the many people President Trump has antagonized during this brief yet turbulent time in office, few were quite as surprised to receive his ire as the Australian. That is the first sentence, which is pure conjecture, okay? It is pure opinion. It is laced in sarcasm. It's just so clear to me when you read the New York Times how biased it is. And this first sentence, uh, the many people that President Trump has antagonized. What the hell is that supposed to mean? Antagonize, okay? Maybe he's negotiating. Maybe you should just state the facts. You don't know if they've been, quote, antagonized. Oh, God. I mean, seriously. Um, I just want to play some sound because this is very interesting. In dealing in uh, President Trump meeting with the Australian Prime Minister Turnbull today in New York City, uh, here's a little sound uh, from that that just happened uh, moments or, uh, you know, on Thursday evening. Oh, I love Australia. We have a fantastic relationship, but I love Australia. Always have. But Greg Norman's here today, a friend of ours, and we have a lot of friends here tonight. A lot of friends in common. A lot of friends in common. Yeah. A lot yeah. Of yeah. Do you think what's the refugee deal behind you? Very much. Oh, yeah, sure. We're going to. That's all worked out. It's been worked out for a long time. Hello, you hope the telephone calls are good in we had a good telephone call. We had a great call. You guys exaggerated that call. That yeah. was a big exaggeration. I want to tell you, we had a great call. I mean, we're not babies. <laughs> but we had a great call, right? Young at heart. Uh, we're young, young at heart, Donald. Yeah. Uh, we had a very, very good call. That was a uh, little bit of fake news, as yeah. the expression goes. That's exactly right. When can we expect you to be in Australia, Mr. Trump? Oh, that'll happen. One of the great, great places, one of the most beautiful places on Earth. And I have so many friends there. I'll be there. We'll be there. Absolutely, we'll be there. Well, we're looking forward to it. Relationships are celebrating the, the Battle of the Coral Sea. How right. I'll be speaking about the Battle of the Coral Sea tonight. That was some battle. That was a very important battle for both of us. It was. We did it together. We did. It was the. It was. Uh, it, it saved Australia, right. and it was the turning point in the war. And I was just up on the flight deck uh, with some of the veterans, American and Australian veterans. Uh, they were teenagers right. when, they, when, they, when they turned the war, the tide of war, okay. and Australia and America started to win. So we've been allies for 99 years. Yep. Can you imagine that? 99 years and never a bad time. So yep. it's a great, right. great thing. Mr. President, how, how hard is it going to be to get that health care bill through the Senate? I think we'll get it through. The Republicans are very united, like seldom before. I mean, you, you see that today. The, Republicans came together all of a sudden two days ago. It was like magic. They just came together. They're very, very united. Every group from Freedom Caucus to Tuesday to every single group. A lot of groups, a lot of great people, but they're very, very united. You saw that today and you'll see it again. Uh, the Senate is looking forward to getting it. Mitch McConnell knows how to do things, and I think we're going to have some really great health care for a long time. President Trump, what do you say to some of the congressmen who are concerned about how it will change in the Senate? Well, it could change a little bit, could get maybe even better. It's a very good bill right now. The premiums are going to come down very substantially. The deductibles are going to come down. It's going to be fantastic health care. Right now, Obamacare is failing. We have a failing health care. I shouldn't say this to 
our great gentleman and my friend from Australia, because you have better health care than we do. But we're going to have uh, great health care very soon. Obamacare is failing. The insurance companies are leaving. Aetna just announced they're out from Obamacare. Some states, you look at a lot of states, a lot of different states. You look at Tennessee, you look at Kentucky is now in trouble. Iowa's in trouble. Uh, the insurance companies are all leaving. Obamacare's dead. So when you compare something to Obamacare, Obamacare is no longer living. And uh, we have something that's going to be, I think, one of the best anywhere in the world, and we look forward to Mr. it. Mr. President, can I ask you about your, your tweet on foreign policy and international issues? It's unconventional for a president. Is it an asset or a liability well, social for foreign media. policy? Now, social media is the way to go. Um, I've got over 100 million people watching, and social media to me is the way to go. It, this way, if somebody's not treating you properly, or if you do have indeed fake media, not all of it's fake, some of it's fantastic actually, but uh, you can just sort of circumvent. But, you know, I find, I don't know if you find that, but I find social media is the way to go uh, between the different forums. There are many different forums, but it's a fast way of getting the word out. I really think it helped today when, you know, on healthcare. I think it's, uh, it's a great way to communicate, and it's a modern way to communicate. Thank you very much. Thank you. You know, very interesting there. Again, President Trump uh, with the Australian Prime Minister tonight. Uh, that was some sound with him in New York City. Uh, and, you know, it seems like they have a good relationship, even though the, you know, New York Times reporting that they had such a contentious phone call in January that President Trump hung up on him, which, you know, even if he did, uh, maybe the Australian Prime Minister deserved it. Got a little art of the deal. You know, we're not going to take all your problems and bring them to America. It's change of change of pace. Um, and, uh, you know, you listen to the way you talk about social media. Uh, listen, I think President Trump has to continue tweeting. He has to get his messaging out there. And it was fascinating today to watch him tweeting because he was tweeting while the House was uh, debating it. Uh, the bill today before the vote and he you know had a couple of tweets out saying um, that insurance companies are playing Obamacare and it's dead or healthcare plan will lower premiums and deductibles and be great healthcare he said I am watching the Democrats trying to defend the quote you can keep your doctor you can keep your plan and premiums will go down Obamacare lie um, all true and it's important for him to get his own messaging out there because then the media has to cover that and his exact words. Otherwise, they can mince words and you see the way that, you know, just the first line of a New York Times article is so laced with sarcasm and conjecture. Um, so, uh, you know, their relationship seems fine and foreign policy is uh, so crucial for President Trump and this administration. Uh, President Trump today announced that he is going to make his first uh, foreign travel trip. He's going to meet with the Pope on May 24th. Uh, I'm interested to see, does President Trump talk about the Vatican wall and compare that with our wall that we need? Um, just to, you know, I'm sure he will bring that up. Uh, and he will meet with uh, the Pope. He will also meet uh, with, uh, he will go to Saudi Arabia later this month. He will also go to Israel and recommit and discuss uh, the United States-Israel partnership with Benjamin Netanyahu, who has come here to America and is good friends with President Trump for decades now, and discuss how they can defeat terrorism and ISIS in the region. Um, and plus, he's ex he's trying to make headway in this Israel-Palestinian um, deal, and maybe President Trump is the person, I have faith in him, of all people, I think he can do it, 
to make sure that uh, there becomes peace between Israel and Palestine. But first, Palestine has to recognize that Israel is a state. Palestine has to stop paying its people to kill Israelis. Um, and that's at the heart of this conflict. Uh, so it'll be interesting as he makes his first foreign policy trip next month. Um, big story here. The Associated Press reported on the unmasking. How many Americans were unmasked? Well, get this. The United States government officials requested to know the identities. Uh, you're going to be astounded by this number of 1,900 Americans. Actually, 1,934 Americans. Now, American names are not usually typically unmasked. That is a very um, uh, a process that is very rare to be used. That is, unmasking names rarely happens. And I'll tell you why. Because the only way that a name would have to be unmasked in intelligence reporting, let's give a hypothetical. Or I can give you an actual example. Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, who at the time was an American citizen, had a conversation with the Russian ambassador. Now, he was preparing for his national security job, and it was his job to talk to the Russian ambassador. But he talked to him, and because the Russian ambassador is being surveilled by our intelligence, and, uh, you know, listen, they surveil us too, so it's nothing, you know, don't be shocked, and oh my god, we're spying on our adversaries. It's uh, nothing new. Fine. Lieutenant General Michael Flynn's name in intelligence reporting is referred to as American number one, or U.S. citizen one. It is never, uh, his title is never in there. His name is never in intelligence reporting. It can't be. It is illegal to do that. Only about 20 National Security Council members, that would include, according to James Comey, who said this under oath more than one time, about two or three times, he has said that the only people that have access to that are top national security officials. That would include the National Security Advisor like former National Security Advisor Susan Rice. It would include the Attorney General, like former Attorney General Loretta Lynch. It would include, obviously, the President um, can request uh, the CIA, the FBI, and, uh, and I guess Admiral Michael Rogers, the NSA Director. Very few people can unmask names. It is the people who control intelligence. And unmasking names, it is so rare, they only do it when there is a national security reason. Now, that is actually a lower bar than it used to be. But in 2011, the Obama administration changed the law that made allowed them to request FISA warrants for less than a national security reason, for a foreign intelligence surveillance warrant to unmask names. And they now just need to say, well, it's national security. We can't talk about it. It's just national security. Uh, and uh, all you, you you don't need probable cause anymore like you would need with any other warrant uh, that you would get. So you have all of these people, okay? Uh, you have the identities of U.S. citizens and legal permanent residents like you and me were found in 3,914 intelligence reports. And of those 3,900 people, more than 1,900 Americans were unmasked. That is way too common. That should not happen, okay? And this is done by the NSA. Um, in 2015, government officials requested the unmasking of 2,232 American citizens. Now, Obama's national security advisor, Susan Rice, has denied that she or Obama officials have used secret intelligence reports to spy on Trump associates for political purposes. But 
They have spied on Trump associates. And you, it is not too far-fetched to say that it was for political reasons because they also, as we know, through illegal leaking, that it is well done, that, that we know, okay, that it's documented that there was um, valuable political information from the campaign that was gained here while they were all supporting Hillary Clinton and they would do anything. Remember, they rigged the primaries for Hillary Clinton, for God's sakes, okay? They made it so Hillary would win and beat Bernie, okay? They gave her questions to a debate. Hillary Clinton was getting national security top secret information on her private server, which was illegal, even after she left the State Department. That was also being forwarded to Huma Abedin and her husband, the pervert, Anthony Weiner. And by the way, um, Comey uh, indicated that he did not agree with the independent investigation that was being done by the Justice Department, that he felt that there was no independence, uh, you know, accomplished because of Loretta Lynch was meeting with Bill Clinton on the tarmac of a plane discussing grandkids for 20 minutes. Sure. Right, you know, a couple of weeks before Comey comes out and makes a big announcement that she had all this top-secret classified information, but we're not going to indict. Um, and it, there was a story today uh, saying that, um, you know, uh, because Susan Rice has denied um, uh, has denied that she did anything and will not, uh, she has refused to testify in front of Congress. Now, of course, they can issue a subpoena, and that's what um, uh, Trey Gowdy, uh, the uh, replacement for Devin Nunez on the uh, House Intelligence uh, Committee is saying that they're, they're probably going to do. But um, Comey revealed that Aberdeen forwarded thousands of emails, including classified information, that should have never been in her possession. All she was was an aide. And she had all this classified information from Crook and Hillary and sent it to her husband, Anthony Weiner, who is, uh, had to leave the, you know, mayoral race in New York City out of disgrace. She, he sent photographs of his Weiner to all these young girls, okay, and, pro and was being uh, under an investigation by the FBI in his own right. Now, uh, the... Uh, Democrat Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut is calling for a special prosecutor to investigate if Aberdeen committed a crime by forwarding the classified material. This is not a partisan thing here. This is about protecting the integrity of surveillance. This is about protecting the integrity of intelligence and about making sure that the wrong people don't get classified information. And if Russia has classified information, you can only blame Hillary Clinton for using an, uh, illegally using a private email server and a BlackBerry that should have never had any classified information on there whatsoever. And it is absolutely disgusting the way Hillary Clinton operated. But, you know, she's not going to take any blame. You know, even in that video, when and we play the blame game, in fact, uh, I think I have it. And I'll let you hear it again because it's absolutely, it's just like amazing that she cannot take responsibility for anything. Here's Crook and Hillary the other day, Monday. It wasn't a perfect campaign. Tuesday, rather. There is no such thing. Um, but I was on the way to winning until the combination of Jim Comey's letter on October 28th and Russian WikiLeaks raised doubts in the minds of people who were inclined to vote for me but got scared off. And the evidence for that intervening uh, event is, I think, um, compelling, persuasive. Uh, and so 
We overcame a lot in the campaign. We overcame an enormous uh, uh, barrage of negativity, of false equivalency, and she so much else. Anything. Um, but as Nate Silver, who I, you know doesn't work for me, he's an independent uh, analyst, but one considered to be uh, very reliable, you know, has concluded. You know, if the election been on October 27th, I'd be your president. And it wasn't. It was on October 28th, and there was oh, just a lot of funny that. business going on around that. And ask yourself this. Within an hour or two of the Hollywood access tape being made public, Deflection. the Russian theft of John Podesta's emails hit WikiLeaks. What a coincidence. So, I mean, you just can't make this stuff up. So. Did we make mistakes? Of course we did. Did I make mistakes? Oh my gosh, yes, you know, you'll read my confession and my, <laughs> my request for absolution. But the reason why I believe we lost were the intervening events in the last 10 days. And I think you can see I was leading in the early vote. I had a very strong, and not just our polling and, and data analysis, but a very strong, um, assessment going on across the country about where I was uh, in terms of, you know, the necessary both votes and electoral votes. She took people for granted. She never went to Wisconsin. She never went to Michigan. She didn't offer a message, and she blames everybody but herself, okay? The only reason why the FBI had a look into her situation was because she illegally used a private email server and used the Clinton Foundation as a conduit to the State Department, okay, and took money from oppressive nations like Saudi Arabia and Iran and Qatar and the UAE who enslave women and persecute Christians and Jews, okay? So uh, you can only blame yourself, and, and then she blames misogyny. Look no further than your husband. Okay, who is the ultimate misogynist and continues to have a girlfriend nicknamed the Energizer. Okay, so, you know, it's just the hypocrisy from the grandmother of all snowflakes. Um, uh, you know, by the way, speaking of the State Department, uh, they're actually going to start, um, pr they propose tougher questioning of visa applicants who believes that uh, uh, using uh, social media will warrant, um, uh, is warranted. Uh, to implement extra scrutiny, according to a government document published Thursday, in a push toward the extreme vetting policies that President Trump has proposed. Um, the additional criteria would include questions about social media accounts and apply to 65,000 people per year of visa applicants uh, worldwide, State Department estimated, although uh, the State Department did not target uh, nationals of certain countries, which, you know, they're probably just being careful with that given the travel suspension held up in the courts. Uh, this would be great. Of course, you got to look into social media. You got to look at private messages as well. And, you know, if you want to talk about surveillance, they should be surveilling private messaging, encrypted messaging on these social media accounts and find out who are the terrorists, who are the people that do not like us. And then we can say for sure that when we're letting people into our country or granting them a visa, that they are people that truly want to be in our country for the sake of being in our, you know, for making a better life or what have you, not to cause terror. And unfortunately, we've had all too many cases of that, and we've had radicalization here as well. Social media should be monitored and should be monitored very closely. Um, you know, Hillary, by the way, in that interview, she said, you know, I was never asked about jobs, and nobody asked me about jobs. Okay, the first question in the presidential debate, Mrs. Clinton, what is your plan to create jobs? 
no joke, the first presidential debate, September 26th at Hofstra. Look it up. Lester Holt's first question to both Hillary and Donald Trump was creating jobs. But I was never asked about jobs. Uh, the entire campaign was about jobs and was about blue-collar Americans who have lost their jobs. That's what the campaign was about. It was about the forgotten men and women. Uh, and she never got that because for her, it was all about her. It was, I'm with her. It was all about me and women and the okay? And it was no messaging for real people. But she's the grandmother of all snowflakes. Um, and Elizabeth uh, Warren, Pocahontas, uh, well, you know, you really want to hear what she had to say? Uh, you want to talk about sexism? Well, go no further than Pocahontas, the queen of snowflakes. The way that things are going, if the next three years and 261 days are like Donald Trump's first 100 days, I wonder if America will ever be ready for a male president again. Wow. Okay. I mean, to make that sort of sexist statement, and President Trump is the one. Who is this? I mean, seriously? Okay, you make that sort of outrageous at some fancy, ritzy gala uh, that you attend, and she says that it is— I, I can't even believe my ears that this may be the last time we elect a male president. Oh, yeah, because it's a male's fault, okay? Uh, first of all, the policies have helped the middle class. We know that. 49,000 manufacturers back to work. Uh, Americans optimistic more than ever about the market, and— if tax reform goes into into place, well, the first big tax reform since 1986 that will truly help middle-class Americans and reduce their taxes and give them relief and regulatory relief. But she's just, I mean, she's just besides herself. They still can't get over it. Uh, this is more uh, Pocahontas uh, anti-Trump. This Elizabeth Warren. I call her Goofy. Some anti-Trump garbage rhetoric that she also spouted at this gala. Donald Trump promised to do something about a rigged game, to put working families first. Yeah, I heard what he said, but talk is cheap. He is president, and now what matters is what he does. Donald Trump has signed off on laws to make it easier for corporations to steal paychecks from their workers, to let companies hide information when they kill or injure their employees, and to let investment advisors cheat retirees. Oh, come on. He signed off False. on a law to withhold critical health care funding from clinics that provide abortion services. He tried to toss 24 million people off health care coverage Wrong. and let insurance companies discriminate against people with pre-existing medical conditions. He's fighting that fight right now tonight. And why? So that he can deliver bigger tax cuts to a handful of the super rich. He, you bet no way. Wrong. He put together a team of billionaires and bankers to run his administration, and he picked a Supreme Court justice who cares more about the rights of corporations like Hobby Lobby than about the rights of women. Oh, God. See, they play the identity Trump politics. Trump lies and tosses out ugly slurs and tweets at 3 a.m., and those things are bad. They are really bad. But he is the master of distraction, and we cannot take our eyes off what Trump does. 
This is how we will hold him accountable. So are you ready to get in this fight? Are you ready to get in this fight? Good. Me too. And here's the good news. We are not alone. She's the biggest cuckoo bird that exists. Okay, I mean, she looks like Big Bird. Pocahontas! Uh, you know, I mean, listen, okay? She's so wrong on all these levels. Trump wants the pre-existing conditions. I don't want the pre-existing conditions. Trump wants it, okay? And so he's against pre-existing conditions. That's false, okay? She tries to rally up these people who, by the way, it, it, she's so weak. They don't, you know, there is really no enthusiasm on the left. And I, I just don't get, uh, you know, that he wants to hurt the, that he's trying to help the wealthy and he's going to hurt the middle class. Not true. Tax reform, when you look at the proposal and you look at the details of it, as we have discussed and as I have looked uh, as I have gone into detail on the tax reform proposal, he actually cuts out the deductions that the rich use. Okay, and keeps the standard deduction for middle class Americans, keeps the chari charitable deduction that all people uh, pretty much use. And he cuts out the deductions that are used by the wealthy. That's the ironic part, okay, is that this truly helps the middle class. But there is no more middle class anymore because of people like Pocahontas, because of the way that Obama ran the last eight years that just basically put everyone, if you make over $100,000, guess what? You're rich, according to them. That God forbid you work your ass off to support your family, you're rich, okay? That's what they believe. Or at least that's what they say they believe, okay? And they're all hypocrites. Even Bernie Sanders, he owns three houses. Don't kid yourself. Um, and, you know, just because you, if you make $100,000, first of all, that only pays for less than two years of college these days. So it, what they do and the way that they lie is just outrageous, okay? And they get away with it because they're liberals. And if you're a conservative, you're just pinned on it. It's like Colbert issued a blanket apology and really wasn't an apology at all. It was a non-apology. He said, uh, I just shouldn't have used that word that offended my base, which is homosexuals. And he didn't issue any sort of apology for really just a disgraceful sentiment about our president and about our country. Um, you know, and speaking of colleges, by the way, get this. This is the last thing. Berkeley University is offering an anti-Trump course. Okay, they're explicitly, I don't think get Berkeley on the phone, Butler on the phone, they're all bad. Okay, Berkeley's worse. Um, Indiana's Butler University will soon, soon learn, quote, strategies for resistance. That's the name of this course to oppose President Donald Trump. This is an actual course that is going to teach opposition to Trump and how can we further oppose him? Get this, I'm going to read uh, this quote. This is from the Washington Times is reporting on this. Students paying roughly $36,000 in tuition have signed up for a, quote, special topics class titled Trumpism and U.S. Democracy. That's the name of the course. The course, which begins in August and runs until December, explicitly charges the Republican, Donald Trump, with, quote, perpetuating sexism, white supremacy, xenophobia, nationalism, nativism, and imperialism, end quote. Okay, how the hell can a university get away with this? This is abhorrent. This is disgusting. Frankly, uh, this university should be shut down because of this. Okay, to have a course that just teaches falsities, by the way, 
um, and to go as far as to teach why Trump is a white supremacist. This is what this course is teaching, that Trump is a white supremacist and a xenophobia. This school, this professor, and this administration should be shot. They should be ashamed of themselves, not literally shot. This is an abomination, okay? And these sons of bitches that are actually trying to indoctrinate people, and they do indoctrinate people, um, they are the most disgusting human beings in this world. To do that, to indoctrinate kids, okay, who don't know any better, okay, and make them believe in this crap, uh, they're all going to hell. I mean, this this is the disgusting, this is what you see on college campuses, okay? Uh, they are, I mean, this is why the snowflakes, okay, we make the jokes about the snowflakes, they are people who are actually going to lead uh, it's to, you know, the total destruction of everything that, uh, is right with this country. Because they are going to oppose someone who's working their butt off for you, okay? For the American people to get you back to work, okay? And he's going to be charged with this from a university? They're not scholars. They're losers. Um, we'll continue tomorrow. Tomorrow we have a veteran on the program. Uh, so it'll be a great, uh, program for you. A U.S. Air Force veteran. Uh, remarkable story. You really don't want to miss it. She has, uh, overcame a lot of adversity in her life um, and uh, sexual har uh, harassment, sexual assault survivor. Um, we're going to talk to her tomorrow. Uh, a veteran that supports Trump, a veteran that's, that protected our nation. That's tomorrow. God bless you and God bless America. The Neil A. Caruso Show podcast is a production of Caruso Enterprises. Engaging, informing, and entertaining. Passion-driven, factual content that makes a difference following Neil A. Caruso on social media. And log on to neilacaruso.com to sign up for Caruso's comments, newsletters, and be the first to know.